Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about this many times before on this program. The book I probably recommend more than any other book to listeners is the book called Tactics by my friend Greg Kokel. And Greg updated Tactics uh, just about 15 months ago. It's the 10th anniversary edition of Tactics. And uh, the book is so good and the tactics are so essential that we thought we'd discuss some, some of them again when the book uh, came out about 15 months ago, the new edition, we had a program, but I wanted to bring Greg back on to talk more about it and also to talk about an issue that is uh, encroaching on us and the church right now. And that is the idea that you can be so skilled at tactics, but if people are not open to reason, what do you do then? That's where we are right now. So it's always great having Greg on from Stand to Reason. Greg, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right, Frank. You already made your first mistake, though. You said, ladies and gentlemen. So oh, <laughs> you I can't are say totally... that anymore. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> there you go. At least not in Congress. <laughs> fellow fellow hom- <laughs> hominoids. What, what should we say, Greg? We got to uh, Living beings. I don't know what they're what the politically correct terms are nowadays. Well, you know, Greg, that, that you can't use the word son. You can't use mother. You can't use terms like this in Congress anymore. That at least that rules out a bunch of curse words. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought about that. By the way, I, I read the material on that. It's it's fairly restricted in scope and where these things can show up. They can talk like that, but they can't write like that, I guess. But, you know, this is a harbinger of, the, of what's to come. You know, we're just uh, this is just the beginning of this enforced political correctness. And it and it creates a challenge for us as followers of Christ to try to engage a culture that refuses to speak. Uh, even the language of common sense anymore. Well, that's what I want to get at, Greg, because your book is the standard on how to have conversations. And by the way, if you're listening right now and you're not a Christian, you'll still benefit from this book, Tactics, because if you want to have a good a good interaction with anybody on any topic, the tactics that Greg talks about here are applicable to conversations even that have nothing to do with religion or Christianity or values. So I highly recommend you get the book, Tactics. But Greg, I do want to start with this question because it's been troubling me and I have no idea how to answer it. You know, critical theorists today say that if you use reason, uh, sorry, you're a racist. You're just trying to cover up the fact that you're a racist. They're actually rejecting the use of reason, Greg. How do we deal with people who won't listen to reason? Well, I mean, the first question that comes to mind is why would you say that? And the way they're going to answer is to give you reasons why mm-hmm. reasons don't work. Now, what this does is um, it's not meant to be clever or glib. It's meant to it's meant to reflect a, a very important truth that um, I talk a bit about in a chapter in the new edition of Tactics called Inside Out. And this is a really, really critical concept that I've been using for years and years. Um, and the idea I got from Francis Schaeffer, and the idea is that he Human beings are all made in the image of God, as a matter of fact, and they have to live in God's world, okay? They cannot escape that. Mm. And since they cannot escape that, that those things that are built 
into human beings in virtue of being made in the image of God. That's on the inside. These things are going to come out on the outside eventually. And it's usually it doesn't take very long. Okay. And embedded in the challenge that you offered was the same concept. You know, you can't use reason. Okay. Well, why not? Which is a fair question. And then they're going to give you the reasons why you can't use reasons. In other words, they have come to a conclusion for particular reasons and they think their conclusion is valid and sound based on the reasons they've offered you. Now, they can't help from doing that because they are human beings made the image of God. Uh, it, it is an automatic response. All right. So, what the first thing that I want people to understand is that um, they have an ally and their ally is reality the way the world actually is, that is the way God made it, and the way human beings actually are, that is the way God made them. And if you understand this concept, then you can begin looking, or rather listening, for the cues, or rather the tells, the giveaways um, that are in people's language. Now, it it's not, we don't do this for the sake of having a gotcha moment. All right. Because as you pointed out, Frank, it is very, very difficult to navigate in discussions, especially with the critical theory types. And I'm not sure how much you've got into this with your with your audience. But basically, the whole approach of CRT, critical race theory, is though, though it includes more than race, um, is that is that uh, those who are oppressors and that would be people like you and me, like fourfold, because we're not only white, we're also male, we're also heterosexual, we're heteronormative, we're cisgendered, we're cisgendered normative, and we're Christians. What's that six? We're six times an oppressor, okay? Greg, I'm going to cancel myself. I just can't go on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And, and so what they have done is they have decided that we have nothing to say in the conversation. Now, when you ask them why we have nothing to say, they're going to give you their reasons why we have nothing to mm -hmm. say, okay? Mm -hmm. And why they, because of their own lived experience, they're the ones who can speak legitimately and with, with, uh, with, uh, with accuracy about the nature of the world, the way the world actually is. So it turns out they, they are common sense realists when it comes to the basic things of the world, they can't get away from that, but they are they are trying to use other means, uh, rhetoric, demagoguery, changing the definitions of words, accusation, ad hominem, genetic fallacies, all kinds of rhetorical noise to browbeat and bully those who don't agree with them. So this is a very, very tough circumstance to have to face for the Christian. Wait, and it's wait. why questions are so vital in the conversation. Wait a minute, Greg. Aren't these people the ones who say that they're fighting oppression and they're using oppressive tactics to fight oppression? Is that, is that what they're doing? Well, they're using legitimate tactics to fight oppression against them. That's what they say. But, uh -huh. you know, this is all part of what amounts to a kind of a shell game. Mm -hmm. And once one understands how critical theory is meant to work, um, they can see the shell game and that helps them to maneuver. Now, when a lot of this really boomed onto the, the scene here in March or make the, uh, May after right. the George Floyd incident, this is where it all kind of exploded. There were so many Christians that were caught by surprise 
that they were bending their knees, literally genuflecting to the left, beating their breasts, mea culpa, mea culpa for my white privilege, mm-hmm. not realizing how they were being taken in by the rhetoric. And this is the world of ideas that we're facing right now, that the Columbo tactic, the questioning tactic, maneuvering with the other tactics in the book, like the one I mentioned just a moment ago, Inside Out, uh, is going to be one of the just one of the few ways that any Christian is going to be able to hold their own in a conversation with these kinds of people. It's otherwise it's it's a it's a lost enterprise uh, to converse with them because they beat up on the Christian powerfully in rhetorical ways. Well, it may be that there is no reasoning with people who will reject reason quite obviously, but as you point out in many occasions that sometimes you're just planting a seed, right? You're just planting a seed that maybe it'll sprout later. They, they right. may not take your point now, but later on, Greg, they may, it may sprout in their mind and move that's them right. to the truth. The phrase I use for that is putting a stone in someone's shoe. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that's my goal in every conversation. I'm not right. looking to ultimately change a person's mind. I'm certainly not looking to lead them to Christ and get them to sign on, on the dotted line. That may happen sometime in the future, but uh, not in this conversation. It's just too volatile. There's too much junk in the way that has to be removed. But uh, talking to them, like asking the right questions in the right way, hopefully by the grace of God, using a technique like this, and the two go together, they're not contrary to each other. This is what can get people thinking you can put a stone in their shoe. We're talking to Greg Kokel. His newly updated book is called Tactics. It is the 10th anniversary edition. There's 40% new material in here. So if you have the original, which everyone should have as well, you got to get the upgraded one right here. You ought to pick it up. There's a lot more to talk about right after the break. Don't go anywhere. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the American Family Radio Network back in two. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're low on the FM dial looking for National Public Radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're never going to hear this on NPR. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Kirk, my guest. Is the great Greg Kokel. His new book is called Tactics. Well, it's not really new, but it is kind of new. It's upgraded. It's updated. It's the 10th anniversary edition. And by the way, a couple of things I don't think I've mentioned to you guys yet. Number one is all of these podcasts are now being uh, transcribed by our elite events coordinator, Ms. Heath Mackey. So you can read these conversations that we have here. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So you may want to check out the transcript. It usually drops, say, three or four days after the podcast is uploaded. So take uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, also want to mention that uh, Greg has a bunch of great resources on his website, str.org, str.org, standardreason.org. And Greg, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the way that uh, many people today won't even listen to reason and we can use tactics and they won't respond at all. But putting a stone in the shoe is still something effective to do in your conversations with people that maybe adhere to the left. If you've had any in recent times, what tactics have you found to be the most advantageous in a conversation? Well, here's where I start sounding like a broken record, because I always 
take the same approach, all right? Uh, the tactical game plan, we call it the Colombo tactic. It's one of a handful of tactics that are in the book, but the first portion of the book is about the game plan and the other tactics abet the game plan. So I talked earlier about inside out as a as a, as a a tactic or as a frame of mind. It's a, it's a perspective by which you go into conversations and you listen for certain things that betray the, uh, an internal worldview that is built into non-Christians that is inconsistent with the worldview that they say they believe in. So it's an example of that, would you? Well, if they say they're atheists, for example, mm -hmm. and, and there's no objective morality that does follow from atheism, then they began to make they begin to make objective moral claims against Christians. See all the bad that you've done. Look at your terrible God. And Richard Dawkins is famous for that that paragraph that he wrote, even though he says there's nothing but blind indifference, you know, right. there is no good, there's no evil in other writings. And he says, this God is a terrible God uh, because of all these terrible things we see in the Bible. Well, you can't have an evil God. Uh, you can't have the concept of evil as a judgment against a God you don't believe in because you can't ground evil in your system. And that's why you made the earlier comment, Richard Dawkins. Okay, so, so Inside Out allows you to listen for these things. And then, and this is what's key, to begin to ask questions about them. Mm. So this is the Colombo tactic and the first step of the game plan. There's three steps and they're very easy and it allows people to get into the, what I call the shallow end of the pool. So they're not at risk and they're not, um, they're, they're not putting themselves in the line of fire. Okay. Uh, that's a scary place to be, especially with the uh, rough and tumble way things conversations are going in our culture right now. So the first thing you do is just gather information. So when people are making these particular claims, like you're a racist, uh, there is a, a, a technique for that. And I call it uh, uh, sticks and stones. That's one of the tactics in the new 10th anniversary edition of, of the book. And that is you always ask the first Columbo question, what do you mean by that? Because what we want to do is flush out the rhetoric. So somebody say, well, you're a racist. Well, well what do you mean by that? Well, you, you, you're white is what they mean by that. Right. Yeah. And if you're white, you are racist. Well, now what I'm doing now is role playing just a little bit how I'd approach this. Wait a minute. You mean I'm bad because of my skin color? You're a part of that group. Yes. The oppressive group of whites. Okay. I'm black and I'm the one that you guys have already oppressed, or at least my group. So wait a minute. You're judging me. You don't know anything about me, but you are judging me based on my skin color. So how is that any different from the prejudice that was condemned in the 60s by Martin Luther King during the uh, civil rights movement back then? Yeah. And prejudice, for people who don't realize what this means, it means you're looking at a person and at a non-consequential characteristic, and you're prejudging something about that individual based on this non-moral quality skin color, which is what happened in the 60s and the 50s and Jim Crow laws and all of that. They're black, so they're lazy or they're black before they're stupid and they're black, so they're criminals. And these are the kinds of judgments that people made in the 60s that were prejudicial based on skin color. So now I'm just asking the question, you're doing the, you seem to be doing the same thing to me. How is that any different? I want them to make sense of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so this is the way I'm going to converse. Notice I am not objecting to their view. 
I'm not thumping them on the chest, poking them in the eye, because that just makes mad people matter. I am simply in a relaxed mode, asking questions that are relevant to the confusion that they're expressing in their challenge. I got to see the confusion to use the questions to expose it, but the questions are the way that I go. And that really deflects a lot of the problem. Why do you think it is, just as from an observational perspective, why do you think it is that the people who say they're fighting for racism or against racism seem to engage in it themselves in order to allegedly defeat it? It well, seems quite odd that, 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 that that's, that's because that's what they would do. Well, that's why? because all of the terms have changed definitions. Mm-hmm. Racism is something that a person of color cannot be guilty of according to critical theory possible to be guilty of that Mm -hmm. and it's simply because of the way the definitions have changed now uh the the old saw is uh when words lose their meaning people lose their lives Mm -hmm. and one of the things i'm going to be writing about about very soon is the is the way that um, words like prejudice and bigotry and racism and uh discrimination have lost their classical meanings, but they carry with them their classical, um, how, how can I put it, their connotations, their feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so their tolerance sounds like a good word. Okay, right. but tolerance has been turned on its head. And so now tolerance, what used to be called tolerance, the virtue of tolerance is now actually intolerance. And what used to be called intolerance is now called tolerance. But the, the words are the same as before. And so it still sounds like something good, even though the underlying no Notions have changed. The same thing is happening with the word racism. Mm-hmm. Now racism means something entirely different than it used to be. Classical racism is the idea that one race is inherently superior to another race. <clears throat> now, if what you do nowadays is you identify a cultural group that has problems with crime or, or, or something like that, that a cultural group that is characterized maybe by a skin color or a certain belief or something like that, well, that then is racism. Even though your reference is to cultural behavior, not to the racial behavior, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is a distinction they're not willing to make because it doesn't serve their purposes. If they can simply call you a racist wow, all of a sudden you feel like a bad person. And what you want to do is defend yourself against the charge. I, I'm not racist. You know, I, I, I'm i colorblind. Uh, that's proof that you're racist. Because <laughs> right, you yeah. don't ha- take into consideration the, the particular circumstances and the history of what's happened to people of color in the past. You can't be colorblind. All the things that used to be virtues uh, in dealing with the civil rights issues, et cetera, et cetera, are now considered vices. So the person who is being fingered as a as a racist here has absolutely no place to go. And that's the goal. This is the rhetoric. This is the demagoguery. You know, this is the highfalutin in, in, uh, language that incites anger and hostility and, and uh, fomates, host- fomates a conflict between people. And it's all coming from the same side and mm. that's the left you and know greg do well. I, I don't know the history as well as i should on this but it seems to me that racism was at least partially put forth by darwinism you know his 
his famous the famous title of his the subtitle uh, right of the subtitle the favored races right that was Darwinism right. and eugenics was something put forth by the scientific community right uh, so much so that Margaret Sanger the founder of Pan- Pan- Planned Parenthood was a eugenicist yes right and it's quite interesting that most Planned Parenthood facilities or at least a good portion of them are in minority neighborhoods which is why you have, despite the fact that blacks make only 13% of the population, they comprise 38% of the abortions. I think the most racist thing we do in America is abortion. Yeah, so right. how much of this has been motivated by junk science, eugenics, that, the, that, that uh, certain races were superior or inferior to other races, rather than you hear this all the time, um, that it was Christianity that gave us racism. Well, yeah, this is a little more complex because the issue of what you're trading on a little bit in your question, Frank, is the classical definition of racism as Mm -hmm. if racism has something to do with genes, you Mm -hmm. know, and so therefore eugenics, that's good genetics, meaning you get rid of the bad genes, the the uh, less favorable species. And this was the subtitle of Darwin's origin of species that mentioned this. And he was by today's standard, he was a grotesque racist, but mm-hmm. it did follow. It did seem to follow from his own ideas. Right. But now see, all of those terms have changed. What is an issue now is not so much genes, it is appearance and the structures of power in culture, okay? So what critical theory does is it breaks humanity down into two groups. Those with the power who are the oppressors and those who have no power and those are the oppressed. Okay. Mm -hmm. It turns out, um, ironically, one of the richest women in the world, Oprah Winfrey, is an oppressed person because she's doubly oppressed because she's black and she's a woman. All right. Right. But this is the way the logic works. And you could have you could have a white person that is completely given a, 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 a Wilberforce type to fighting slavery and the like. And by definition, that person is going to be an oppressor. Now, it might be an oppressor who got a conscience in their way of thinking and realizes how bad he is and is beating his breast, like I said, with the mea culpa, mea culpa, my fault, my fault, my fault, and becomes what is called woke, W-O-K-E. E, and this is a term in in the in the in the discipline and in the culture now for those people who are oppressors who kind of get it right and now they want to do their best to uh, make amends and the amends they make making amends is called social justice mm-hmm. and just to point out this is the term social justice I think is a uh, is a kind of Trojan horse to grab Christians and drag them into the discussion into commitment to what's going on because they care about justice but something else in the agenda that's really nefarious and hostile to Christianity. Let's pick that up right on the other side of the break, Greg, because that is an important issue. Social justice, is that term something we ought to be using or does it mean something other than what we think it means? I'll be back here in just a minute with my friend Greg Coco. My name is Frank Turk. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org and we're back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. I want to mention that Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, his brand new online course will be starting on February 15th, Cold Case Christianity. If you want to be a part of it, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. We only take a certain number in the premium version so you can interact live on Zoom with the great Jay Warner Wallace. So you need to sign up soon for Cold Case Christianity. Again, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. My guest today is the great Greg Coco, also a friend of Jay Warner Wallace. The new book is, well, it's semi-new. It's called Tactics. We've been talking about tactics so far in the program uh, related to uh, discussing these issues with people who might be on the left, people who might be critical theorists. We've been talking about it with Greg, who has some great insights in on this. And Greg, uh, just before the break, we were uh, talking about this idea of social justice. And I think right. we have to use that term advisedly now because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. I mean, biblically, social justice used to mean things like, by the way, it was invented by a Catholic priest, the term. It That's used right. to mean you know, helping the poor, helping uh, the homeless, helping uh, widows and orphans. And today we might say right. also helping the unborn. What does it mean now, Greg? Cole? Well, uh, I, first of all, you're right. It did. It was initially used uh, by Roman Catholics uh, with good intent, and mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate the intent. I, I still think it was ill-advised as a term, though, and I'll tell you why. And I, I'm not the. I didn't. I think someone else made this observation. Might have been Dennis Prager, but whenever you add a an adjective to the word justice, you corrupt it. You mm. change it. I mean, when you think about justice, the rich notion of justice, why does it need an adjective? Justice should apply to people. And whether they're people of race or poor people who have been treated unjustly, okay? And that's an important qualifier. There is a, when the scripture talks about the poor, it talks about those poor who are being taken advantage of unjustly in virtue of being poor, they are not saying it is unjust for them to be poor. In fact, it says in the law, and this is the book of Exodus, I read it recently, that you should not favor the poor in judgment. All mm -hmm. right. But or see, the rich, the, either way, yeah. yeah. Or the rich, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah I way. think that the reason it says don't, uh, it adds that about the poor is because there, there's maybe an incentive or maybe a, um, a compulsion to try to feel bad for somebody who's poor. Mm -hmm. The question is whether or not they've been treated unjustly. Now, the idea that if a person is poor, it is a result of injustice, that's Marxist. Uh, Marx said, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need, okay? In other words, the, the, the playing field should be evened out at the end. All the scores should be equal at the end. Mm. Not freedom of opportunity, that's more uh, of a conservative and, and Christian idea, but uh, f but but equality of outcome. Yeah, the term now they're using, Greg, is equity, that everyone has to have the same amount. Even the vice president, Kamala Harris, talked about equity, like we all had to have the same amount. That's not that's not equal opportunity. That's equal outcome. And that doesn't happen in any environment. It doesn't even happen in heaven, Greg. 
Well, it, wherever you have, yeah, even in totalitarian environments, it doesn't work because no. fallenness of human beings, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, it is it, it, what people don't realize is that the idea of equality of outcome, in that sense, uh, what some people now call social justice. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's why I don't think Christians should ever use that term because it's a term of art in a foreign worldview. It means something mm-hmm. very particular. All right, I heard one pastor call it a couple of weeks ago uh, revenge justice because it's all about paybacks and of course in this circumstance you can never pay back enough okay uh what what uh what what people don't realize is when you advance an idea like that um you must surrender freedom and it's not just uh you know accidentally connected it is necessarily connected if people have freedom, some people are going to do more than other people. Mm. And as a result of the exercise of their freedom and their hard work or their lack of work, because they just want to kick back and no big deal, they don't have ambitions, there are going to be inequalities of outcome. Right. If you, uh, the only way to erase inequality of outcome is to take away freedom. The two are connected. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. And it's become almost like a knee-jerk reaction now to think, well, look at this group does not have as much as this group has. And so therefore, there is injustice. Now we have to repair this injustice in the social circumstances, social justice, in order to bring about more equality of outcome. Okay, and so that's how this works. Now, I mentioned earlier about the Trojan horse. Uh, this, this is all Marxist thinking, and critical theory came out of Marxism. It's the same basic dynamic. They have just expanded the categories where Marxism is between the worker and the capitalist, you know, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Now the the categories of oppression have become much more expansive, but it's the same general categories. And when Christians with good intent, because they care about justice, get carried away with the so-called social justice, which is a perversion of justice in my view, then this is the uh, Trojan horse that gets them into and part of the project that is essentially Marxist at its core. And this is a this is happening to a lot of people who love the Lord and care about justice, but they are being taken for a ride and they don't realize it. So let's use some tactics, Greg. Then if someone were to say to you, Greg, why aren't you for social justice? You are going to respond, how? What do you mean by social justice? I'm not really clear on that term. Okay. okay there it is. It's, 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 it's reflexive for me. Mm-hmm. These are terms that are loaded terms. All of these terms are loaded terms. Right. Okay. And, uh, and so, therefore, what we need to do is have the other person clarify exactly what they mean. Now, once they start to clarify, and what we're all ears at this point, we're not challenging anybody, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm for social justice, but I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. I might say I'm for justice, but I'm not sure what social justice is, mm-hmm. okay? Well, that's justice in the social arena. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, what does that actually look like? Mm. Okay, and here is where I am I am I am looking to draw out some of the Marxist ideas that drive this. Okay, and if there if it turns out then that they start expressing that equality of outcome, 
Then I asked the question, why is it that somebody who works harder to gain something for himself and his family should have that taken away from him or her or they or ampersand or, you know, mm-hmm. try, <laughs> not to use binary language right now, but you, you get the point and, and have that, that what they aren't given taken from them and given to someone else. How is that? just. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm stumbling over, the justice part of this. Mm-hmm. Help me understand that. Notice how all I'm making is an appeal for information, but my my questions are carefully worded to get at my, pers- my understanding of the limitations or difficulties or flaws in the approach. So I'm not going to let them um, let rhetoric do all of the work for them and make mm-hmm. me look bad and look them make them look good. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, Satan comes as an angel of light. And what that means is he will disguise himself to sound good, but under that sugary coating, uh, when you unpack what something really means, you realize it's not as flowery and as loving as you think it is. And I think a lot of that has been done, Greg, uh, to Americans by the left and some of the language that they use. As you pointed out earlier, tolerance no longer means really tolerance. Love now means approval. Whatever whatever I want to do, you have to approve of if you're going to love me, right? Uh, right? Words like social justice now have lost their meaning or terms like social justice have lost their meaning. There's a new meaning in there. They sound good, but when you unpack them, as you just pointed out, Greg, what's actually happening is in order for their social justice claims to be adjudicated, some resources are going to have to be taken unjustly from some people and right. given to others. And, or some and be, that's one one uh, uh, consequence, but another mm-hmm. consequence is other people are treated unjustly too. Mm-hmm. Okay, I and mean, when you think about what 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 bigotry is, or or even prejudice, it's a these are these are ways of 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 these are attitudes of hostility towards individuals in virtue of some quality they have that has no moral significance. So if, if I have hostility towards women because they're women, that's misogyny. Okay. Well, that's not right. Maybe this woman is, is, is of noble character. Okay. And not worthy of my disdain. All right. Certainly women are not worthy of any, individual males to say simply because they're female. Mm-hmm. Now, this, of course, is still an idea that people have in their minds because that is an idea that's related to justice. But it turns out that that's precisely what's happening in reverse to men now. If you're a man in virtue of being a man, then you're then you're bad. You're one of the oppressors because you're a member of the group. Okay. Yeah. Once again, because you're a member of of the group. The group is what matters. And uh, what's interesting, I made that list of characteristics that you and I both have that makes us the the quintessential uh, right. oppressors in our culture now. Uh-huh. But notice how many of those things are things that we have nothing, no control over. We have no control over our skin color or our gender, our, our, our sex, Okay, to use the non-politicized mm-hmm. word. Uh, we have no control over our... our um, uh, over our, our our sexual orientation, if you will, these are nat- natural for us. We do have a control over being Christian, okay. Um, but uh, but the curious thing is that, but being a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, w- w- tell me all the nasties that Jesus told us to do, right? Mm-hmm. 
none of the things that uh, that Christians do that are nasty and and deplorable that people find fault in are anything that Jesus taught. And so, as one person said, you can't hold a religion responsible for the conduct of its heretics. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. people are calling themselves Christians but living inconsistent with Christ, well, then they are. You can't lay that at the uh, feet uh, of Christianity. Okay? Yes, and you never judge a philosophy by its abuse. The same, the same kind of sentiment there that's been right. said before. I'm reminded of that Babylon Bee headline, Greg. That's why I was laughing. They had one recently. They show this feminized guy with a. He's got a bun on the top of his head, and the headline is. Least masculine generation in history warns of the dangers of masculinity. <laughs> so yeah. it is true. It's yeah. uh, about toxic, laundry. You have you, you have to go to male. Yes, yes. You have to go to it every day to get a good laugh. And some of the headlines are just so true. You're going, wow. It's it, it, it would have been a joke, but it's so close to home that it's not a joke anymore. Now, right after the break, we're going to come back with Greg Kokel. Okay. We're talking about so many current issues uh, related to the book Tactics. The brand new updated version of Tactics is out, the 10th year anniversary. You need to get so much good, so many good insights in here that if you don't have the book Tactics, consider yourself undereducated and certainly under-equipped in today's society. We're back in two minutes. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with my friend Greg Kokel. My name is Frank Turek. Greg's new 10th anniversary edition book, it's called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, has about 1,700 reviews on Amazon, average review 4.9. It's something you definitely want to get. And as I say, even if you're not a Christian, you will benefit from this book immensely, but you should be a Christian, so buy it and use it in that regard. Greg's also developed a curriculum for this book. Greg. Where's where can they get this curriculum and, and really what does it teach them? Yeah, there's a study guide for it and there's a series of DVDs that uh, six uh, actually I think it's now eight since we've got the adjustment to the tenth anniversary edition, um, and <laughs> I don't buy that curriculum, <laughs> but uh, so it's I think it's probably on Amazon. But I know it's produced by Zondervan, and if you go to Zondervan's website, uh, you know you can find it there. And and there are actually Zondervan has um, academic courses and stuff like that. You can go at their website, and uh, I have one that's actually web based that people can go to and take advantage of, and groups can use. And it's especially good for nowadays with everything's screen time because we're locked down. So those are some suggestions. You can take a group through the material, okay? And uh, eight sessions, I think, eight weeks. That's, I mean, it's uh, it's doable. It's easy. It's turnkey. You know, um, make coffee, push the button, and let Coco do the talking head deal. And and you can come to CIA this year. We just nailed down the venue. It's going to be Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, August twelfth through fourteenth. This will be our fourteenth or fifteenth year, Greg. I can't remember now how long we've been at this, but. Uh, CIA is going to be in Southern California. It's going to be myself, Greg uh, Kokel right here, Jay Warner Wallace, Natasha Crane, Elisa Childers, Richard Howe, 
uh, Sean McDowell, Jorge Gill. I'm probably at Brett Kunkel. I'm probably leaving somebody <laughs> out. But that's you said Brett twice. So. That's our lineup. <laughs> that's and, so uh, good. Huh? Again, we only take maybe 60 people because not only do we present to you, you present to us. Uh, it will be on our website shortly if it's not there already at crossexamine.org. If you want to sign up, sign up soon. It's going to get, again be August 12th through the 14th in Calvary at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. And uh, Greg uh, will be there, so you can learn uh, by more the about that. Just, just to say in that, uh, you mentioned Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers. They are both graduates of CIA, and now they are presenters, and uh, they have their own books. They're selling well. Natasha's, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Elisa, her recent book, Progressive Christianity, it's on Progressive Christianity. It's called Another Gospel. Is just, just it's in the top 1,000 right now. Last I Excellent. looked, about 700 at Amazon. So it's been doing really, really well. And these are products of CIA. That's right. And Elisa yeah. has her own uh, podcast, which is doing very well. And Natasha Crane just started a podcast as well. So there's plenty of great material out there. But if you want to be a part of CIA, you need to sign up soon. Because as I say, we close it off at about 60. Now, Greg, one of the great tactics that I've been using uh, from your book tactics is something called what a friend we have in Jesus. Now it's not just a hymn. It's actually now a tactic, <laughs> Greg. Tell us how you've employed this tactic. I've used it myself. It's very effective. Well, uh, it trades on the notion that uh, Jesus has a lot of popularity in our culture. Christianity doesn't necessarily, but Jesus uh, does. And this is why you hear people say things like, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, for mm-hmm. example. He did. Now, that's in, not entirely true, but uh, let's just take it at face value. And this is, why are they saying that? Why, why are they making reference? Why are they trying to get Jesus on their team? Mm-hmm. And that's because people respect Jesus. And if Jesus has a view, then we have to take it seriously. And if he's pro-gay, well, then we need to take that seriously. And so he's on our side. Okay, so that's the idea behind it, all right? And so what we want to demonstrate then, what the tra- tactic does, is takes advantage of the of the popularity of, of Jesus, of Nazareth, and leverages it in our favor. So, for example, when someone says, well, you know, you guys are so narrow-minded when you say, Jesus is the only way of salvation. I said, and my response is, well, you know, I, I can understand why that bugs you because it bugged me too in the past before I understood some of the reasons about it. But you know what? I didn't make that up. That's what Jesus said. And he didn't just say it once. He said it a whole bunch of times in a bunch of different ways. And so did everyone he personally trained to follow after him. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think he was mistaken? Hmm. Okay. Now notice how I just pitched it right back using a question to give more force to my observation about Jesus. All right. There was a a gentleman, this is before Obergefeld, you know, in the Supreme Court case about uh, same-sex marriage. And he contacted our organization and he said, to stand a reason, he said, help us out here. Uh, My daughter's in a statewide beauty pageant. And uh, this was when they were all being asked questions about same-sex marriage to disqualify the conservatives, basically. And she's going to be asked this question. So uh, how should I answer it in a tactically way that uh, honors the Lord. And uh, Jesus said we should be shrewd. And so here, what I responded, and this is all in the book, is that when she's asked the question what she thinks about same-sex marriage, she, sh- she should say that she has the same view of marriage that Jesus had. Mm-hmm. 
just let it lie there. Now, of course, they're going to ask, well, what was his view? Well, you can find it in Matthew 19, and I could sum it up this way. Jesus' view of marriage was that marriage was one man with one woman becoming one flesh. That's the sex part. That's where it belongs mm -hmm. for one lifetime. Mm -hmm. One man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. And since I'm a follower of Jesus, I hold Jesus' view. Mm -hmm. That's it. Full yeah. stop. Okay, now what are they going to say? Drop. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're going to have to, if they disagree with you at this point, they're going to have to disagree with Jesus. Now, mm -hmm. if they say, I don't believe Jesus taught that. Okay, why is it that you think Jesus didn't te teach that? Now, that's our second Columbo question. We're asking them for the reasons for their statement. It's a reversing the burden of proof. So right. if they think Jesus didn't teach that, what makes you think that? Now, I'm looking for chapter and verse here because the Gospels really is the, are the only places where you're going to get any substantive information about Jesus. There's something like 19 other historical sources that corroborate the details. But if you want substance of Jesus' teaching, you got to go to the primary source documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you're not going to find Jesus' support for any of these boutique uh, sexual arrangements that people are making nowadays. It's just not there. That's why I want to ask them if they think Jesus was fine with what's going on now. Why would they think that? Well, Jesus taught love. Actually, he didn't say much about love. If you go through the text, you know, upper room discourse, love one another, you know, but it, there wasn't a lot about love. There was a lot about sin, a lot about salvation, almost nothing about what might be called nowadays social justice. In fact, the entire gospel of John has not a single mention of anything that could be construed as uh, social justice, helping the poor, all of that kind of stuff. And why did John write an entire gospel uh, uh, about Jesus without including that? It's because that isn't why Jesus came. Yeah, Jesus did say that we ought to love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He sacrificed himself for us. Right. Of course, today, people think love is approved. Approval. Approve of everything I do. Well, any parent knows that doesn't work. Because if you no. approve everything your kid wants to do, <laughs> you're not loving, you're unloving. You need right. to stand in the way of evil. There's and, also this little inconvenient, go and sin no more. Oh, gee, we don't want that. I love what Thomas Sowell said uh, about this recently, uh, Greg. I just I may have said it earlier. He's 90 years old. But Thomas Sowell said that um, if I tell you what you want to hear, I'm helping myself. But if I tell you what you need to hear, I'm helping you. Yeah, very right? good. He's Too many people are trying to help themselves by telling people what they want to hear. I had that situation at, uh, where was I? Towson State University a year or two ago. It's on our website. Why did God make me a lesbian? Lesbian got up to the microphone and basically asked that question. And one of my responses was, had to do with uh, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I said, look, I don't make up the moral rules. I, I'm not I'm not the general manager of the universe, right? Yeah. This isn't my, these aren't my morals. I didn't make them up, right? Yeah. They just happen to be the morals. So if you have a problem with that, you really don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the creator upon whose nature these, mor these mor morals are derived. Right. Yeah. So, and then uh, why would she even think that God created her that way? Notice there's an assumption in her question, sure. and that assumption needs to be challenged in a yes. in an in a appropriate way. Why would you yeah. think God made you that way? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I was born this way. And yeah. can you cite any of the uh, scientific yeah. evidence that that's the case? Because mm -hmm. we know now that that simply is not the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody is born gay. Right. Well, actually, that was part of the answer, too. It was about a four-minute answer. It's on our website. It's got a lot of attention. But 
I think it is true. It's it's not a dodge. It's just the truth. The fact that we're not the arbiters of right and wrong. We're not the standard. God, Jesus is the standard, mm-hmm. right? He is the standard, and that's who we ought to be appealing to. And if uh, they're going to say they have certain rights outside of God, we're, that's that's an oxymoron. You don't have rights if right. there is no God. Yeah, I just thought of something else, too, to but, that question re- re- really briefly here. And that is if somebody says, why did God make me gay? Mm-hmm. And I, my response could be the same reason that he made me a gay basher. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> don't blame me. I just have the anti-gay gene. They go, no, hold on. You can't do that. So, yeah, it, it can work both ways. But, Greg, we just got about a minute or two left. Uh, tell us or tell people how they can hear more from you. I mean, I listen to your podcast. You've got two podcasts. You've got one, the the, the Greg Coppola Standard Reason podcast, and then you have the one you do with Amy Hall where you answer a lot of questions. Tell people about that's, that. That's go. called hashtag STRask. And so we basically have four podcasts going out each week. And they can go to str.org. That's our website. And then okay. they can uh, sign up for the podcast there. They can subscribe to Solid Ground by bi-monthly uh, article I sent out. And I also had an alternate month, a, uh, a single-page mentoring letter. And I am writing right now about all of these things, mm-hmm. this critical theory stuff. I you can go to our website and find the one I just wrote, which is about totalitarianism, because in 1976, I spent five weeks behind the Iron Curtain working with Christians under the under the heel of Soviet-style totalitarianism. And uh, this is a direction that we're heading, as you know. And so I'm writing this series in order to uh, explain how that works and what Christians can do about it. So that's all available at str.org. Sign up, subscribe. Upper right-hand corner of the website, you can subscribe. Greg, thanks so much for your work. Thanks so much for the updated tactics. Thanks so much for helping with CIA. Looking my forward pleasure. to out there, man. All right, that's my friend Greg Kokel, ladies and gentlemen. It's been great being with him, and I know you will enjoy his work. If you haven't been to his website, go to str.org as well and check it out there. Also, don't forget... Jay Warner Wallace, the brand new course starts February 15th. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there, and I'll see you next week. Lord willing, God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.